Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. I can't believe I'm saying this, but we have reached edition 10 of Travel First. My name is Alex First. I am joined, as usual, by the man on the spot, Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris. They said it would never last. Exactly. A decade of triumph. Well, no, try 10 programs. But we have to speak about the place they held the Eurovision Song Competition this year, Stockholm. Uh, when you talk about Eurovision, the, uh, the, the city of Stockholm uh, holds a very special place for a lot of people because, of course, ABBA came from Sweden as well. So, you know, so... I went to the ABBA Museum. I'm a Did proud... You? Oh, well, I, I just... I'm a big ABBA fan. I was always a big ABBA fan. I, I don't care if it wasn't trendy. I thought their music was absolutely sensational. And I went to the ABBA... There was an ABBA exhibition in Melbourne, and I went to that as well. And the exhibition took bits and pieces from what is at the ABBA Museum in Stockholm, but it is the ABBA, oh, it's, if, if you're into ABBA, and you can, the other thing is it's interactive. You can sing the songs. And did you? Chris, I, <laughs> I'm so good on my feet. Not, I'm hopeless. I And, and yes, I mean, look, people, cats run away. And and they should. It's but it was still fun. Not, and they, not I took just photos. cats, not just cats. Not just cats. And and you can dress up. I, it, it just oh, <laughs> you can go. I spent hours in there. I honestly did. They actually the place was shutting, and I, I couldn't help myself. I it's just really great. Anyway, we'll get we'll get into that. Will but, the will, will the Australian with the bad singing voice please leave the museum? We are trying to close. Yeah, well, I, that's the world's worst Swedish accent, isn't it? it? Yeah, it was, but yeah. that's all right. It's that's fine. I'll I'll accept it. We we were in Budapest, in Hungary, and we caught a couple of trains to the airport, and then we caught a Finnair flight. We we went for, for to Helsinki, and then we went from Helsinki to Stockholm. So Budapest, Helsinki, Helsinki, Stockholm. Mm-hmm. There we go. So just to give you an idea of time in the air it's it's not much i mean it was basically a two hour 20 minute flight from budapest to helsinki and then an hour on to onto stockholm and we we basically caught public transport to our hotel which was extraordinary the victory hotel in the old city of stockholm it was opened in 1987 so nothing you, you might not say that's very special let me tell you it's one of three connected hotels that go under the collector's hotels banner ah. i've not seen anything like it anywhere in the world and i've had the good fortune to travel a lot dare i say the word unique which is overused certainly is not when you refer to these properties the collector's hotels and i'll tell you why the victory hotel and its sister properties known as the lord nelson and the lady hamilton all have a nautical theme. Mm-hmm. They are filled with a veritable treasure trove antiques and Swedish painted wooden rustic furniture. Both antiques and wooden rustic furniture. 
from Sweden, dating back to the 18th and 19th centuries. And each room is carefully and painstakingly decorated individually. The entrance, the restaurant, the hallways, chock-a-block with marvellous memorabilia, and the hotels just ooze character. That's what it's all about. At the Victory, where we stayed, each room is named after a Swedish sea captain from the 19th century. Each room has not only his name on the door, but the person's photograph and the photo of the captain's ship. That's a nice touch. When that information could be sourced. I thought that was really good. I mean, it's privately owned, the, the collector hotels, by the Bengston family, B-E-N-G-T-S-O-N, Bengston family. Originally, it was Mum who started the Lord Nelson in 1974. It has 29 rooms. So Dad loved the idea because he was an avid collector. It gave him the opportunity to display the fruits of his labours, so to speak. I reckon that's great. You know, you can be a hoarder and never display it. But if you've got your own hotels, you can put it wherever you want. I'm getting ideas now, and my wife's going to hate me for it. Yeah, well, look, I tell you, if this is the way that you use your well-sourced material, more power to you. Really, I'm not just saying this. I loved it. Lady Hamilton, Lord Nelson's beau was opened in 1980. So first 1974, then 1980. That's got 34 rooms. While the Victory, Lord Nelson's flagship, has 45 rooms and a series of five room types from singles to doubles and suites. In fact, the building which houses the Victory Hotel dates back to 1640. When it was renovated in the mid-1980s, they actually found part of Stockholm's old defence wall, which originated in 1382. So they had to stop renovating while archaeologists were called in. <laughs> that would be a frustration. Well, that added a year and a half to two years to the job of readying the property for opening. And as a result, you can now still see part of the original fortification. I had breakfast and there was the original defence wall. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll have bacon, eggs and an 800-year-old wall. Why not? Now, now it's got a sauna, it's got spa, it's got a wine cellar and a top-notch restaurant called The Animal. And guess what? It concentrates on serving one animal at a time for a month at a time. For instance, one month it'll be reindeer, mm -hmm. the next elk, then lab, lamb, pig, and so on. And the restaurant works with the whole animal from top to tail because it is acutely aware of responsibility when it comes to ecology and the environment. It knows where the animal comes from, and it can select suppliers based upon the way they ply their trade. That's how much the Victory Hotel cares. So the animal seats 35 to 40 people, open six days a week, closed on Sundays, except from mid-June to mid-August when the Victory operates. And this is interesting too. It operates as an outdoor courtyard called the Swine. And not surprisingly, it serves barbecued pork. <laughs> okay. Right. So, in other words, it, again, the animal opens six days a week, except from mid-June to mid-August, when it operates as the swine, serving barbecued pork. Mm -hmm. One more interesting fact. When they were renovating the floor of what's known as the Animal Restaurant in 1937, they found a veritable fortune in silver coins dating back to the 18th century. Oh, please tell me they got to keep them. 18,000 of them. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm going to go and renovate my floor. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Victory also has a very exclusive fine dining restaurant named Lion Tower, 
that opens only 12 times a year Ooh. for only eight people at a time. Did you go? Did you go? No, unfortunately, no. I didn't. But you know, talk about exclusive. Wow. And now you can see why I use the word unique. Yeah. You just add all of that together. What an amazing... This is a place... I mean, I spend a lot of time just admiring the collectibles because they are the antiques. They are really special. Now, when you stay in the Victory or its two sister properties, you're effectively staying in a museum of treasures. And today they're operated by the sons and daughter of the original owners. Mats and Annika Bengston are hands-on, while Ralph and Richard are more your silent partners. It was really a truly inspiring experience to stay there for three nights, which we did. All bookings, by the way, include a delicious buffet breakfast, and rates vary depending upon the season. And the Bengstons also own a 10-room conference centre nearby if you want to have a conference in Sweden. If you want more information, go to the following website, www.collectorshotels.se. So www.collectorshotels.se. So that is where we stay. Incidentally, about a million people live in the Swedish capital of Stockholm, and 2.2 million in the broader metropolitan area. It was founded as a city in 1252. So, yes, we are going back a long way. The population of Sweden, around about 10 million people. Mm -hmm. The following morning, we went for a wander around the old town, which was where we were staying. Gamla Stan is where the city was founded back in the 13th century. Many of the beautiful buildings date back to the 17th century. We wandered through some of the narrow cobblestone alleys and just soaked up the atmosphere. Beautiful. A very special place where you can easily lose yourself for several hours. We then caught a ferry across to one of Stockholm's 14 islands. It also has 50-plus bridges connecting these islands to Stockholm. It was a five to ten minute ferry trip, which was just beautiful, delightful, just taking in the spectacular view, the delightful period architecture in the buildings all around the harbour. And we ended up on the island, I'm going to mispronounce this, of Djurgården, D-J-U-R, Djurgården, which is home to a spectacular, and again, I'm going to call this unique, a unique experience, the Titanic of Scandinavia, as I call it, the Vassa Museum. The Vassa was the name of a regal 17th century warship that sank on its maiden voyage. Oh, mm. that's, a, that's a small design flaw. Yes, unfortunate, really. Uh, minutes after it took off, resulting in the loss of life. The remarkable part of this story, though, is that the vessel lay submerged for the next 333 years before being salvaged from the seabed. And it was 9.03 a.m. on the 25th of April, 1961, when she returned to the surface. For 17 years, the Vassa was sprayed with a polyethylene glycol, a chemical compound that replaces the water in waterlogged wood mm -hmm. to prevent shrinkage and cracking. The current Vassa Museum opened in 1990. Right, so returned to the surface in 61. Remarkably, and this is incredible, 333 years under the sea, 98% of the original large vessel is intact, and you get to see it. Chris, one of the great experiences. I'm that really does sound unique. Complete with ornate and intricate metalwork, and, of course, the original oak hull, built from more than a 1,000 trees. 
So you really are in, in, in well, it's it's special living history. A guide gave us a 25-minute introduction before we watched a 17-minute DVD. Then we wandered around our, well, we wandered around by ourselves taking a close look at the ship and a host of other related exhibits. We spent a brilliant couple of hours there. Next up, it was off to the ABBA Museum. It opened in May 2013 and is integrated with the Swedish Music Hall of Fame. We spent three hours in the ABBA Museum alone and virtually had to be kicked out when the place closed for the night. They did it because I was going to speak to you. <laughs> it was a lot of fun casting our minds back to when this super group were world beaters. The great thing about the museum is that apart from seeing early photos and videos and interviews with the Fab Four who met and fell for one another both personally and professionally in 40 plus that must have been, yeah, it was 40 plus years ago yeah. and they rewrote Swedish and world music history. The beautiful, beautiful thing, the great thing is that this is interactive, as I mentioned. You can display your karaoke skills better than mine. You can take part in the recording session you can see what it's like to wear their clothes, right, digitally, and get filmed dancing to some of the most popular songs. Yes, I did that too. And I and bet you've got the photos and the video and you still dust them off and watch them. They've conveniently been erased. Oh, yeah, sure. And there's more. You get the backstories. You see the original costumes and the memorabilia, and you learn what it took to keep the group on the road and the fans constantly screaming for more. I lapped it all up. It really was great. Really slick exhibition, by the way. I mean, that's the other thing about the ABBA Museum. It's just done so well. It's amazing how their manager did what he did. And, you know, it was... I mean, you, you took punts on things, and obviously it was a different time, you know, 40-plus years ago. And... The, the best part of this is the music is the music is the music. And if ABBA music is timeless as far as I'm concerned, I, I, I love their music then, I love it now, and they had so many number one hits. I mean, Australia was one of their biggest stopping off points, wasn't it? It, it was. And look, I, I, as you know, I've spent many years working in music radio over time, and I can yep. tell you that the production values, and it's not just ABBA, it's, it's everything that Benny and Bjorn from ABBA do. Uh, uh, the musical Chess, for example. Chess, which I loved. Yeah, again, you know, fantastic stuff. And it is one of my favourite soundtracks. You just listen to it, the production values in there, it's just so crisp and so slick. And you listen to ABBA, love the music or hate the music, you listen to it and the production values are just incredible. It is so, it, it is crafted to within, you know, an, an nth of, per, of perfection. Well, so the beauty part about all of this is that you really do need to go across to some of these islands. I wish I had time to go to more of them. But, I mean, the island of Jur Garden, DJUR Garden, that's where you see the Vassa and you, you go and see the ABBA Museum. So it's a really good way to spend several hours. You know, you've got to allow more than half a day. You really do to allow yourself the opportunity to see what there is to see. So, okay, what happened? What happens thereafter? Well, that... That night, we ate a very tasty dinner at a specialty steakhouse called Jensen's Beef House, Jensen's Beef House with a J, which sits opposite the central station. And it's part of a Danish chain with three restaurants in the heart of Stockholm and another couple in the suburbs. The one we ate at was the first in Stockholm. It was renovated over the, well, the past few months before we were there, which was over a year ago now. And while my wife had a very Moorish steak, I had an extremely tender chicken with potato in the jacket and other veggies. It was delish. It was almost full both nights we were there, and it seats a few hundred, so that's a really good sign. 
Best to book in advance, especially in summer, though. Go to www.jensens.com to find out more. It still it, sounds more Swedish if you call it Jensens. Yeah, it probably is Jensens. I mean, I, I yeah. But it, it was really good. So it is a Danish chain. Now, oh, the... So it's Danish if you call it Jensens as well, for that matter. It, it does. And but the following day, we actually went back to Garden. We went back to the that same island, to visit Skansen Open Air Museum, which was founded in 1891, the world's oldest open air museum. Features more than 150 historical buildings from nearly every part of Sweden. And most of them, I mean, imagine that, you just transport the buildings. Most of them date back to the 18th, 19th and early 20th centuries. And the founder, Artu Hazelius, his aims really live on because he wanted to bring the traditional rural culture to life by exhibiting furnished houses and farmsteads, cultivated plots and gardens, and both domestic and wild animals. That was what Artur Azelius wanted to do, and he's done that. There's also a zoo there containing animals like bears and wolves and lynx. So, I mean, you just don't expect to see something like that, but I think it's a great idea. I haven't been to Sweden... Right, but something that that strikes me, and and we've spoken about Sweden, and, and I've spoken to a few other people who who I know who are real, uh, I don't know if, if the right way of describing them is is Swedophiles, but let's go with that. Yeah, they really, and I think this applies across uh, all, all those the, the northern European cultures, Sweden, Sweden and Norway, uh, and Finland, all those countries up there, they really do know how to preserve their history, and they do it in a way that nowhere else in the world seems to do. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I really, I fell in love with what I saw. I, I really did. I thought it was just splendid. And, you know, from the, you, you turn up at a hotel like the Victory and you sort of think, oh, my golly. And then you go through the cobblestones and you think, this is very special. I'm really pleased I'm in this part of the world. The other thing is there are a lot of beautiful people. I mean, the Swe- there are lots of, well, I think gorgeous Swedish women. So that's me being sexist. But, you know, I, that's, that's just my reaction. I want to go back to Stockholm. I want to see more of Sweden as well. And, in fact, on next week's podcast, I'm going to talk about a very, very special part of Sweden, which was minus 31.5 degrees. We'll get to that towards the end of this podcast. A couple of hours after we saw this open-air museum, we were back in the heart of Stockholm visiting the Royal Palace, which was one – it's actually one of the world's largest inhabited palaces with more than 600 rooms. I remember I spoke – about the parliament building in in Budapest. Mm -hmm. Well, this one was built primarily in the 18th century in Italian Baroque style, and it's the king's official residence. I I mean, there's so much to see and do there. We visited three attractions, firstly the elaborate state suites, then the beautifully presented crown jewels, and finally the royal armoury. And that features clothing and suits of armour worn by royals and horses through the centuries. Fascinating. Although mighty impressive, the armour looked really heavy and cumbersome. I mean, we, I, I just don't know how people wore them. It I, doesn't do its job unless it's heavy and cumbersome. That's the thing about armour. It's I understand. got to be I, like that. I found it absolutely fascinating. But as I say, really, boy, oh, boy, wearing that, you'd be shedding the kilos just to be able to you know, pick up the armour and keep it on you for any more than a few minutes. Uh, feel for the horses too, mate. 
Oh, absolutely. No, quite quite right. And we also saw a number of historic coaches. We we spent a couple of hours there in the King's Official Residence and, and really enjoyed the experience. I, I, I would highly recommend this. So visit the Royal Palace in, in Stockholm. And so our final stop was the Nobel Museum, which gives you the history of the Nobel Prize, or prizes, plural, and those that have been bestowed with the prestigious honour. I learned more about Alfred Nobel, who wrote in his will that physics, chemistry, physiology or medicine, literature and peace would each year receive a part of the fortune he amassed in his lifetime. You probably knew that he was a Swedish chemist, an engineer, an innovator and armaments manufacturer. Mm. Who He's the man who invented dynamite. Correct. You know, he held 350 patents, which is extraordinary. Where, where did he keep them all? Yeah, exactly. Bottom drawer. Oh, okay. Big bottom drawer. Mm -hmm. The museum also gives detail about each of the Nobel laureates and features a series of three-minute films about them. And I, I didn't watch all of them, but I watched quite a number. So I, I just thought that's again just to get a. It's it's a bit different. I mean, when when you're in Sweden, I think you should see the Nobel Museum. Oh, it's absolutely. Decidedly different. You, you know, these are some of the smartest people in the world who have been bestowed with these honours and you really get to learn about people that a lot of them are not household names and That's again it is something that is particularly swedish to have to have that because of the uh, sweden being the home of the nobel prizes oh quite so and by the way uh, we went back of course to jensen's for another of course night. you did uh, yeah well one one wasn't enough you know <laughs> Why can't you do more steak and more chicken? And yeah, so look, I, I wish we had Another more time. Another for Mr. First, please. please. Thank you. I wish we had more time in Copenhagen. I really do, because it, it's a wonderful and engaging city. You mean, so... Sto you mean Stockholm? Oh, sorry, Stockholm. Yeah. Did I say Copenhagen? You did. Jeez. <laughs> well, jeez. It's very good. Stockholm. Um, it really is an engaging city, and there's so many more things that we didn't get to see. I mean, I spoke about City Hall, the Museum of Modern Art, Miller's Garden, which is a sculpture park and art gallery, more about innovative Swedish design and fashion than anything else. There's there's something called Drott Drottingholm Palace, which is the current residence of the royal family, and a visit to the Stockholm Archipelago, which comprises about 30,000 islands. So th th there's obviously a hell of a lot to see that we didn't get to see which is you know, just one of those things, I suppose. I could say that about every place we visit, but I was particularly conscious of it. You know, it just wasn't enough time. So brilliant, friendly place to visit. Everybody was really, really nice to us. And, yeah, I've got to go back. That, that, that's, that's without any question at all. So, and, and the beaut part is that we had to split our time. Well, we didn't, but we decided we, we had a limited time in Sweden and we wanted one of the great experiences of the world that was outside the capital city, and that's why next podcast I'm going to talk about the Ice Hotel. And, you know, this is a part of the world. This is – it might be cold, but it's mighty special. And the Ice Hotel is formed – it's shaped like a cathedral. It is formed from the river, and it goes back to the river. It goes back to God each year. And each year, carvers from around the world – who put their hands up and are not necessarily chosen, basically carve from blocks of ice, magnificent hotel, and you can get a suite. Our suite was carved. There were banana leaves and orangutan in our 
hotel room, all of which, apart from the mattress and apart from a pillow, was made out of ice. So I will. I have so many questions ahead of next week now. It, it really, it, it really is one of the most fascinating places. But the, the good part is, I mean, I reckon you would need at least two or three weeks if you had a, an opportunity to go through Sweden and see it with more than a fleeting glance, which is what I reckon we got. You know, basically when we saw Stockholm. Uh, again, this this is something that we we uh, we, we it's, it's a bit of a recurring theme. Uh, for travel first is you, know, uh, you travel, I travel we can't go everywhere, all we can do is report on where we have been and suggest a few of the other places that you might want to get to but you can't go everywhere in a city, even if you live in a city though Alex, you can't get to go everywhere, can you? Well often in a city you don't get to see the places that you would recommend the tourists see I, there are a lot of museums in my hometown of Melbourne that I haven't seen, now that's tardy of me because what do I do when I go somewhere else? I ask them, well, what, what are the places that you should see? And, and yeah, somehow... try, try living in Canberra, mate. That's oh, <laughs> ten wow. times as bad. Wow. But have you seen most museums in Canberra or not? Oh, God, no. I've seen, I've seen some of the big ones. But, um, and this is, this is where I should now probably just you know, give up. I, I, I am still yet to go to the actual to the National Museum of Australia, the big one that's been wow. on the shores of Lake Burley Griffin for uh, over 10 years now. I'm still yet to actually go and do that other than a cursory glance. But I think that if you're living in a city, you say, oh, well, I'll get to it. And I don't know whether people do get to it or not. And, and somehow you don't even appreciate what you've got, and and I don't mean until it's gone, but I'm saying you don't. Melbourne is one of the great cities for stadia, for sporting stadia. Oh, yeah. I, I, and, and it's been recognised as such. It, it just does it extremely well. And, I mean, I know when you weren't travelling recently to America, you are a baseball fan, so you went to a baseball stadium. I, I went I went to two, two, uh, two stadiums, and one of those was Dodgers Stadium, and if it is not... And I, look, I, I am biased slightly here being a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, but I can tell you I've been to Sporting Stadia right around the world. If there is a better entry to the stadium experience than you get at Dodgers Stadium, and all will be explained on a future edition of, of uh, Travel First, if there is a better experience than that, I don't know where it would be. Well, I, I, would, I would say to you, Lords, and I, I haven't yet seen a cricket match at Lords, but you know, I'm fortunate to be an MCC member, and it's spine-tingling stuff when you go to the MCG and you watch an Olympic Games or you go along and you see an AFL Grand Final or you see Australia play England there. I could just imagine what it would be like to be at Lords. So, again, this goes to the heart of what do you see, what do you not see, how much time do you have, and what's the best way to see something? Do you go on a a ship-type bound cruise, which we talked about last week, where you only get an overnighter virtually or a, or a, a day in port or whatever it may be, when you see even less. We, we spent, so most places we spent three nights. That, and, and that didn't even brush the surface. And that's just... But th th there are, what, 197 countries in the world, I believe? Uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, and you multiply the number of places in each country that you should see and you'd probably come up with certainly three or four or five, you know, and then you've got a shopping list of up to a 1,000 places. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we're doing Travel First.
Yeah, look, we'll give you some suggestions, but you know, feel free to, to add to them. And also, if we've spoken about a place and we've missed somewhere out and you'd like to have your, your two cents worth and, and give it a mention to us, don't forget you can find us on Facebook. We are there. Just search for Travel First on Facebook. And we're on Twitter as well. Uh, Travel First Pod is what you look for on Twitter. Let us know. You know, if, if we've been to somewhere, if Alex has mentioned somewhere and we've left somewhere out in your opinion and you'd like to throw in a few words, we'd love to hear from you, wouldn't we, Alex? Oh, absolutely. And we'll do it all again next week. Indeed we will when we're off to the Ice Hotel. Cheers, Alex. Catch you later, Chris. All the best to you. You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.